0: If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to the book of 2 Peter, New Testament book of 2 Peter chapter 1, we are going to read much of this first chapter, verses 3 to 15. If you're a guest with us, we're in a bit of a transition stage right now, it's been about a month since I've been up here. And I want to take an opportunity to remind us of where we have been before next week we jump back into the Gospel of Mark. Been a few months since we've been in the Gospel of Mark, but I'm ready to jump back in and continue thinking about Jesus as our King. But this morning I want to give you a few Gospel reminders. All that being said, let's read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-15. to 15. This is the word of the Lord. His, that's God, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way... There will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter is about to die. And he knows this. The Roman Emperor Nero is burning Christians at the stake in the streets of Rome, treating them like streetlights. And he's coming for Peter. And Peter has one last opportunity to share with the Christians who have followed his leadership anything that he can tell them. But instead of going into new territory, instead of using his letter to explain new doctrines, new applications, Peter shares what he has already shared. He gives the church a gospel reminder. And Peter's plan is my plan this morning. His purpose is my purpose. In verse 12, he tells the people I intend to remind you. Always, as long as I am in the body, I will just continue to stir you up so that at any time you would be able to remember. Brothers and sisters, just because a vision series is over, just because we're moving back into the book of Mark, does not mean That we are moving into new territory. And I intend, as Peter intends, to always remind you how the gospel is supposed to move us. And using this passage, I aim to share this one truth with you this morning. We never need a new message. We only need to remember the gospel. Brothers and sisters, you never wake up needing to learn a new story of hope. You never need a new promise. We have all that we need. And so using this text, I want to give you two gospel reminders. Two reminders of what Jesus Christ has done for us and how it should shape our lives. The first gospel reminder is found in... In verses 3 to 4, it is what God has done. What God has done for us. To use the terminology we used back a month ago, this is Peter's roundabout. And when the gospel moves, it is supposed to move us. And so we are going to look at what God has done for us in verses 3 to 4. Look at verses 3 to 4 with me again. Peter says, His divine power... Has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. In another season, I would just preach one sermon right here. In a Bible study, I might ask, what do we see God doing here? And I've I've found at least five answers. Quickly, I'll share them with you. I see God calling us to his own glory and excellence. God reveals himself to us. You'll notice in verse 3 that the power, it, it comes to our lives, Peter says, through the knowledge of him. We have knowledge of God because God has revealed himself to us. God makes and keeps promises with his people. God unites us to his son Jesus. That's what Peter's talking about when he says we are partakers of the divine nature. We share with Jesus' person the divine nature. He frees us from the power of sin. God provides everything we need to live a godly life. You can see all of that in those two verses. Brothers and sisters, remember what God has done. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So I'm going to take all of this observation and sum it up this way. Jesus promises life with him forever, and he empowers life for him today. Now, did you catch that? Jesus promises life with him tomorrow, and at the same time, Jesus empowers life for him today. Salvation, let me be clear, is not about what we do for Jesus. It's about what Jesus has already done. And it's about knowing that and knowing him. That's why John 17, verse 3, Jesus says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Friend, do you know this Jesus? Jesus came to this world, the Son of God, God in human flesh, and lived a life of perfect obedience. He never failed. He was tempted, but he never sinned. And even though he lived a perfect life, he went to the cross to die in your place, to do what you could never do. And to give you his own perfection and holiness and righteousness, so that if you put your faith in him through his resurrection, Jesus would look at you and see Holiness. All we have to do is turn from living our own life and putting our trust in what Jesus did for us. And God promises that that is how he will see us. Do you know this Jesus? This is a promise for every one of us who believes. Romans 8 verse 30, Paul says, those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Remember what God has done for you, but it's not just for tomorrow. This is what we need to hear, friends. A lot of us already know Jesus that way. We already belong to Jesus that way. But the way we operate in church is that the only reason we have the gospel is so that we can get into heaven. The only reason we believe is so that we know we're not going to hell. But it really doesn't have an impact on how we live today. As long as we know where we're going tomorrow. But Peter says that Jesus not only gives us life tomorrow, he empowers life today. Jesus did not just come to give you something tomorrow. He came to make you a citizen of heaven. So let me ask you a question. I really want you to think about this. What do you still need? What are you missing? What do you need in your life To live a godly life in 2021. What do you still need to live for God today? According to God's word, nothing. You are missing nothing. You have everything you need. What gift or blessing from God... Are you still waiting for? None. Ephesians 1, verse 3. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? brothers and sisters, what does this mean? What does this mean for you if you have been called to the fellowship of God with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ? It means you have access to the whole armor of God right now. Every piece. You have every spiritual fruit listed in Galatians chapter 5 within your reach. You have the whole counsel of God's word at your fingertips. You have the resurrected Savior sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for you, praying for you, defending you right now. You have the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ living inside of you, empowering you to have access to all of these things. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Little children, you are from God, and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is who is in the world. We have everything we need for life and godliness. So what does that mean? I have two practical applications about this. What does this mean? And and as as a family, as a church family, it means this. Living for Jesus is possible. Everything that we talked about, the the church that we can be, every single bit of this is doable. It's accomplishable. It's accessible. Glorifying God, doable. Making disciples in the next generation, no matter what the world looks like, achievable. Trusting God in the uncertain days, we can do that. As Peter Davids writes, In other words, are you listening? Peter David says. in other words, there is no excuse. We think we have excuses. If you challenge somebody hard enough about obeying the word, you're going to get some. You don't know what kind of tough time I'm going through. You don't know how, how busy my life is. You don't know how hard my workplace is. You don't know how discouraged I am. You don't know how challenging it is out there. You don't know my personality. I'm not that outward. You don't know my history, all the scars I have, all the things I've been through. You have everything you need for life and godliness. And if you tell me you don't, brothers and sisters, that tells me something about your salvation. Because this is a promise for all of us who belong to Jesus. That should encourage you. But can I take it to a more personal level? I really, really want you to think about this. What are you praying to God for right now? What do you want from him? What are you asking him to do? This may sound discouraging, but if you really believe it, it's so freeing. What you are asking for? You don't ultimately need. You may want it. You may want it more than anything. But this text says there is nothing in this universe that you are missing out on from Jesus. You have everything you need. You can make it today. You can be faithful and godly today. Doesn't matter where you go to school, doesn't matter where you go to work, doesn't matter what your family is like, it doesn't matter what challenges you have in front of you, you can live for Jesus today. It's kind of like do it yourself furniture. Have any of you ever been brave enough to build yourself some furniture? I have built an entire kitchen, all right? I'm not saying that to brag, I'm just saying I know what it's like, okay? When you open that box up and you get some instructions and they tell you how to do it and you decipher through all the directions if you even look at them brothers. You might come to realize that they expect you to have a tool to build this furniture but you don't have that tool. And you have to go to the hardware store or get on Amazon or whatever and find you a tool that you do not have. Brothers and sisters, The Christian life has a glorious promise. You will never open up the box to build some furniture and find that you do not have the tool that you need. You always have everything you need for what God is calling you to do. So The question is, with every tool at your disposal, what are you going to do? That's the second gospel reminder in this passage. We've seen what God has done. The second gospel reminder Peter gives us is what God calls us to do. When we see the gospel, it calls us to move. And so Peter, after giving us this good news, shows us how we are to move. Read verses 5 to 11 with me. For this very reason. Stop right there. That is connecting to everything we have just read. Because you have everything you need. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. To make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All Peter is saying, brothers and sisters, is take it serious. Take it serious what God has done for you. Do not take it for granted. Do not start to assume it. Don't go half-hearted with it. Take it serious. And he he tells us this in two ways. First way we take it serious is by growing like Christ. Verses 5 to 9. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. The word supplement there is a vivid word. It means to furnish or to decorate. Peter's saying since God furnishes you with every tool that you need, put the furniture together. Put it on display. It's like God has given you an empty living room with an endless budget and all the furniture in the world. And you get to decide how to decorate the room. Supplement your faith. Faith alone will save you, but faith is never alone. It always shows up. You can always see it. And so Peter says to decorate your godly life with seven things. What kind of furniture should be in your Christian living room? You can just go down the list with me. The first item that should be in your room is virtue. The word virtue is excellence. It's the same as in verse 3 when God calls us from his own glory and excellence. Because God has called us with his excellence, we therefore are excellent. We are virtuous. It means uncommon goodness. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Paul tells us to think about whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is excellent. Peter takes it one step further. He said, Don't just think excellent. Be excellent. When we ask, how do we glorify God? And that's our number one concern. How do we make God look great? How do we make his name worth the most? Brothers and sisters, it's by making every effort to be excellent in what we are doing. When we study the word of God, we are trying to study it. Excellently. When we are trying to encourage a brother and sister with the hope we have in Jesus, we are trying to share it excellently. When we are going out into our neighborhoods and living lives that are supposed to display the love of God to our neighbors, we do so in a way that is excellent. We don't coast, you can't coast your way to excellence in anything, right? We say practice makes perfect. We've got to make every effort and practice and put on some work to be excellent in what we are doing. But beyond virtue, we're supposed to decorate our life with knowledge. The word knowledge there means a practical wisdom, a comprehension. Friends, a childlike faith is all you need to come to Jesus. But it's not enough to live for Jesus. God calls you to deeper waters. If you've been a Christian for 45, 50 years and you still have a shallow faith with shallow knowledge, God is not impressed. God expects you to make every effort to dig deeper, to go higher, to learn more from his word. That's why Hebrews chapter 5 verse 14, after he tells the people that some of you ought to be teachers by now, he says, Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. When we look at your life, we ought to see knowledge. The third and fourth words on the list go together. Peter tells us that we should grow in our self-control and steadfastness. Another word for steadfastness there is patience. Warren Wearsby ties these two together. He says self-control handles the pleasures. And steadfastness or patience handles the pressures. A growing Christian displays restraint in their desires. And fortitude in the face of difficulty. You hear that? A growing Christian learns how to restrain their desire. Their God is not their belly. Just because they want it doesn't mean they do it. Just because they like it doesn't mean they pursue it. And they display a growing fortitude. A growing Christian doesn't wither in a season like this. A growing Christian doesn't run away from the church in a season like this. They are steadfast. They are patient. They wait on the Lord like Job. We should see that in our lives. Next is godliness. That's an awesome respect for God, but it's also a respect towards his people. How many believers deny godliness through the way they treat each other? Next is brotherly affection. It's literally Philadelphia, a family love, a brotherly love. But This is not a unique trait. People of every religion, people of no religion, love their own family. What marks the church, what marks the Christian, is they extend their Philadelphia past their blood family to the church family. To the point that their church family is loved even more than their home family because they have more in common with the people who've been saved by the blood of Jesus than the people who share their blood. Tom Schreiner writes, there is a family-like devotion that should characterize the Christian community. Romans chapter 12, verse 10, Paul says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And Peter closes this survey of furniture with the final trait. He says that we should grow in our love, which should send our minds straight to 1 Corinthians 13. In verse 13 of that chapter, Paul says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. Look through this list with me one more time. Starting in verse 5, we're told to supplement our faith with virtue, with knowledge, with self-control, with steadfastness, with godliness, with brotherly affection, and love. If you put your living room on display, would we see these traits in your life? Would these pieces of furniture mark who you are? How serious are you taking God's divine power in your life? If we looked at your self-control and what you kept from your eyes and what you kept from your lips and kept from your mind, would we see the divine power of God? If we heard how you talked about your brothers and sisters behind closed doors, would we see brotherly affection? If we saw your devotional life and the things that you're learning and thinking about the Lord, would we see divine powered knowledge? Would we see these traits in your life? Brothers and sisters, when you remember what God has done, this is what your life looks like. Notice this isn't a list of traits for pastors or exceptional leaders in the church. This is baseline Christianity. And what's the expectation? You think we're done? We're not even even close. What's the expectation with this list? And notice, this isn't my expectation. Honestly, none of this has been my expectation. This is from God's Word. All I'm doing is reading God's Word. Look at verse 8. Let God tell you what He expects. Verse 8. If these qualities are yours and are increasing. Not only that they belong to you, but that there is a steady incline. That you are more like this list today than you were a year ago. That you are more like this list today than you were a decade ago. That you are not the same Christian as you were when you became one. And turn these negatives around in verse 8. They are yours and increasing so that you become effective and fruitful. God intends to use you. When you put this furniture on display in your life. If God's power has brought you everything you need. Grow like Jesus. Put it on display. Prove what God has done in your life. And that's how Paul calls us to take it serious the second way. After telling us to grow like Christ he says prove who you are. Friend can you hear me on that? You say you belong to Jesus prove it. Show us something. Look at verses 10 to 11. Therefore, that, in the Bible that means listen up. Therefore, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I was traveling back from India to Newark, New Jersey. There were so many layers of security. Two or three different times in India, I had to show them my passport. And not only show them my passport, but in India, I had to defend myself who I was. I wanted to make sure I was not someone that shouldn't be in their country doing things that they do not allow. And so I would get past one layer of security. We would head downstairs to a more secure level. would do it again. Then we would go to the gate to get on the plane, and we would do it again. Layer after layer of Layer. Proving who I am. And yet, when I get to the United States of America and enter customs, there's a problem. They look on the list of passengers for the plane and my name's not on it. Somehow, I got past three layers of international security as a stowaway. So what did I have to do? Well, you better believe in the United States of America coming from the Middle Eastern area of Asia, I had to prove who I was. That's what Peter is saying a believer is going to do with his life. You're not just going to walk in to the land of promise without proving who you are. He says, confirm your calling and election. It's a really fun phrase. It shows us both sides of the coin. We have a calling and election. That's God's sovereign work in our lives for our salvation, but at the same time, Peter expects us to confirm it. It's our responsibility to live it out. In Peter's day and in our day, some in this room even may think that their salvation is firm enough that they can live however they want. As long as they said the right prayer, as long as they believed in their heart the right things as a little kid, it doesn't matter how they grew up and lived. As long as they come to church every so often and give a few bucks to the offering, God's going to be fine with them. We don't believe that grace that saves us is a grace that changes us, a grace that sanctifies us. We don't believe that we really have to grow. We don't believe that we really need self-control. We don't believe we really need godliness. That's for the super holy Christians. I'm not that extreme. Let them have that. But what does Peter say? He says, confirm your election. Prove your calling. And as Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 to 4, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. If you don't understand a gospel that makes you godly, you don't understand the gospel. If God made you a partaker of the divine nature, confirm it with virtue. If God gives you an escape from the world's corruption, confirm it with self-control. If God has brought you to the knowledge of him, prove it with growing knowledge and love. Matthew 12, verse 23. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Brothers and sisters, the Lord saves you by his grace. All you need is faith in Jesus Christ alone. But God is greatly concerned that you live by his grace for his glory. That you live according to godliness. Now, how are we supposed to do these things? There's two challenges in this passage. How are we supposed to do this? How are we supposed to grow like Jesus? How are we supposed to prove it? And you need to take these two phrases and, and write them down on your heart. You need to put them somewhere you can see. You need to put them on your forehead and look in the mirror and read them. I don't know what you've got to do, but you've got to take these two phrases and make them yours. Peter is serious and he wants us to be serious. Verse 5, he says, make every effort. Not make a few efforts. Not try a couple times. Not have a go at it. Make every effort. And then in verse 10 he says, be all the more diligent. You know, Peter could have just said be diligent. But God wouldn't let that happen. God inspired Peter to say, be all the all the more diligent. You think you're diligent? Push harder. Stick around longer. Be all the more diligent. What is Peter saying with these two phrases? It's not automatic. This isn't guaranteed. This isn't definitely going to happen in your life. You've got to put in some work, you've got to have some sweats, you've got to try a passive approach will not cut it. Brothers and sisters, we want a passive church where people don't expect too much of us. We want a passive room where somebody can teach us and not contribute to the conversation. We want a passive mission where somebody else doesn't. We just write a check. We want a passive fellowship where someone will connect with us. We don't have to connect with them. Make every effort. Be all the more diligent. You will not make it through the roundabout, driving in neutral. Let me just ask you. Think about your spiritual life. These qualities that you should have and should be increasing in your life and growing in. Are you making every effort? Are you really trying everything you can try? When you... Are asked to read the word with someone. Do you really put all everything you have into it? Or do you start to make excuses? I'm not a morning person. I can't get up and do it in time. I'm too busy. I've got too many things going on. I can't read another chapter of the word. When someone challenges you to memorize a verse together. Do you make every effort? Or do you start to make excuses about the memory God gave you? When you have an opportunity to share the gospel, do you make every effort to connect with that person and give them the hope that you have in Jesus or do you start to to find reasons not to? You don't want to be pushy. You don't want to come off as judgmental. It's not your personality to be so outward. Are we making every effort? Brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent. Make it your highest priority. If you have things in your life that are more concerning to you than growing like Christ, you need to repent and make this your priority number one. As one writer says, we cannot sit back and rest content with faith. We are to bring every ounce of determination we can muster. Brothers and sisters, can you hear that? We might need to hear that more than anything else. You cannot sit back. If you want a church where you can just sit back, you don't want a church. You want a club. If you want a sermon where you can just sit back, you don't want a sermon. You want motivation. If you want a Savior where you can just sit back, you don't want a Savior. You want a life coach. We cannot sit back if the gospel has really moved us in our hearts. We've seen this before. This is not new territory. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 11, when he realized he still had so far to go that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. By any means. Brothers and sisters, allow me to remind you of the gospel once more. None of these things that I am saying means that we do this to belong to God. We do not do these things so that God will love us or that God will forgive us. But the thrust of this passage is because God has loved us, because God has forgiven us, because he has given us these great and majestic promises, because we have all these things for life and godliness, therefore we work. Remember how the gospel is supposed to move. Remember who we can be if we let the gospel move. Brothers and sisters, we exist to glorify God above all else. His name matters more to us than our own. We glorify God by growing like Christ together, like this picture, using our gifts to serve the church family. We glorify God by proclaiming the message of the gospel everywhere we go. We glorify God by making disciples and training others to do the same for generations to come. We glorify God by trusting his word and spirit to direct us forward in the power of his resurrection. And brothers and sisters, to get there, we have everything we need. We have everything we need to live for Jesus today. And if God has truly called us, if God has truly called you and me, let us prove that we belong to him. May we prove his grace more and more. Let us pray.